Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This is really cool. It's really fun. I, I love coming here on a, on, a, on a Tuesday night when I get to, and uh, I love seeing all of your faces. It's fun. I get to see some of you on Sundays, so that's a blast. Uh, I want to I I highlight what Cody said. Uh, you should come to Chico Community Church. If you don't have a church, you should come and join us because we have a blast doing what we do, loving God, loving each other, learning what God wants us to learn. And uh, I just, I love it. It is, it is awesome. So what we're doing here is stand out, working our way through uh, the book of 1 Peter. Paul invited me to speak on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And what I'm looking at as I talk to you about this is the reality of life. This is really the reality that we all need to understand and embrace. And I'm thinking there's, there's, there's three groups of people in here. There's the athletes. No, that, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> three groups of people. There are those who have committed their life to Christ. Maybe even most of you, you've made the choice. You committed your life to Christ. You have become a part of God's family. And you need to know what this passage talks about because it talks about something very specifically for you. There's another group of people in here that are checking out the Christian life. You're coming around and you're checking it out. You're here tonight. And, and there's, I have no idea. There's probably a dozen or maybe two dozen of you that haven't yet committed your life to Christ, but you're checking it out. You came to a night upon which you will get valuable, valuable information that will explain to you what your life would be like if you cross over that line and choose to be a follower of Christ. So if you choose to commit your life to Christ, this is gonna become real for you. It's, it, it, it's really awesome stuff. So I'm gonna talk about some qualities. What I'm gonna be talking about is truth and what my hope is, my uh, desired goal, is that you would see the truth that is being talked about tonight and that by seeing that truth, it would become real to you and in you. And so you'd begin to experience it, to know it, to feel it, to taste it. One of the comments made in the, in the Bible is, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. So you're getting a taste tonight of how good God is. These are qualities that I'm gonna share that are essential for your spiritual growth. They are foundational for everyone. One of the things that fascinates me about them is they are foundational for all of us. And they are also at the highest elevation of spiritual growth. They cover both parts and all the way through. Sometimes, you know, you hear, oh, it's foundational. You know, that's like a 101 class. You know, that's that basic stuff. This is foundational basic, but it is also elevated to the highest points of Christianity. So 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. In this, Peter is going to talk about Jesus. He's going to mention some specific characteristics about him. He's going to paint a picture of who you are and of how the truth should shape your life. If you've committed your life to Christ, then this is actually who you are who you are, and maybe you don't know it, and you need to, to embrace this truth, these realities. 
So, for starters, and I'll just give, I'll give you a little heads up. Two of the significant, well, let's just go with three. Three's a good number. Three of the significant people in the Bible are Jesus. So this is going to be about Jesus. Another one is Peter. Fascinating man. He's the one that wrote this. And so we're going to get to see what he had to say, what Jesus had inspired him to write down for us. And then I'm also going to, going to throw in at, at each point some of Paul. Because it was really Peter and Paul, they were like, you know, they were like the two uh, big guns of the day. So I'm going to read it to you first, and I'm going to talk about it. Uh, first up, who, t- who taught last week? Was it you, Paul? All right. Right here. Starts out with a therefore. So I'm going to add a little insert here that you need to understand. Therefore. Because of what Paul told you last week, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, and just so that you know, whenever you read the word scripture in the New Testament, it was talking about the Old Testament. It just wasn't called the Old Testament then. But that's what you're seeing when you say, for in the scripture, because the Old Testament was all that they had of scripture at this time. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also why they were desti- what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. This is referring to you who have committed your life to Christ. It's referring to you yet to commit your life to Christ. This will be true of you when you make that choice. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In this last two verses, which is where I'm gonna lay down my focus for the evening, and it's simply because there is so much in the chapter from verses one through 10 to talk about that we would have to make this like the topic of the Hume Hume Spring Break Retreat. There's so much there. There is so much in these last two verses that... It's just amazing. So he mentions some specific characteristics here in verse 9 and 10. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. And you have received mercy. Each phrase is packed with some significant meaning that is foundational to our spiritual life and to our spiritual growth. We need to know these things. So I'm going to highlight these four things. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have been completely accepted. 
The phrase he uses is, you are a chosen people. It means you have been chosen by God. You have been accepted by God. It's a fascinating thing because most of us spend our lives struggling with acceptance, trying to earn acceptance. We want to be accepted by our parents. We want to be accepted by our aunts or our uncles. We want to be accepted by our peers. We want to be accepted by our friends. We have all of these people that we want to be accepted by and we struggle with it. Different degrees, but we all struggle with it. All of us have, an, have a monitor of insecurity inside of us and that, that it's like it's going up and down. Up and, and when it goes up high, we struggle with acceptance. The drive to be accepted is a deep drive that drives us to do all kinds of things. Sometimes crazy things, way out there crazy, but it's really all about being accepted. If I were to do this really, really crazy thing, you'd, for some reason, I think you'll like me and we will be friends. But I know I have to do that thing. You know, as a kid, you want to be in the crowd so bad and somebody would say, I dare you to do it. How many of you heard that dare and did it? Oh, come on, there's be more honest than that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Somebody said it and you did it. And sometimes what you did, it, it was downright stupid. <laughs> and sometimes you did it even, even, with, with, even throwing personal safety aside. You did it, all because you wanted to be accepted, because your desire to be accepted overruled your desire for common sense. And you did what you did. We love that feeling of, oh, I'm accepted, I'm good. I'm in the in crowd now, someone has chosen me. I can remember, maybe you can remember as a kid or as a teenager, you know, that, that moment when somebody says, okay, we're going to divide up in teams. You and you are the captains. And, you know, they were the most popular people. They got to be the captains. And so there is the rest of us. <laughs> when am I going to be picked? And it is a struggle in our heart. And the struggle grows intense as there's only three of us left. I'm not feeling it. This is not going to go well. I don't know what's going to happen. I want to be accepted. I want to be chosen. Oh, yeah, you chose me. And all of a sudden, you're back in, and you're feeling great. You know, when you went from the low to the high, all because somebody chose me. See, we, just, we love that feeling of being accepted. We, we feel it when we get an award. We're chosen for an award, and, and we feel it inside of us. We feel that sense of acceptance, some honor, some special opportunity. Someone chose me. When you are chosen, that does tremendous things for you. Tremendous good things whenever you are chosen. First thing Peter points out here, you are a chosen people. What he's saying is you have been chosen by God. He's picking his team and he chose you. 
that should make you feel good. If you're not yet a Christian, it should make you feel good that that's what's ahead. It's, an, it's a fascinating thing. It, it raises our sense of self-esteem. And one of the things that's beautiful about it is it, it's not based on our performance. He's not picking me for what I could do. He's picking me because he loves me. That's the best thing about being chosen. Being chosen by someone who loves you deeply. Paul highlights the same truth in uh, Romans 15, 7, when he says, Christ has accepted you. So first up, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have been accepted. Second up, MIA. Somebody help me. What does MIA mean? Missing in action. Point number two is missing in action. Did you notice that yet? Where did it go? It's gone. It's missing. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. Use that really big space over on the right side and just start writing it down. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I have been given great privilege. He says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God says, I'm a priest. Now, if, if your thought processes are anything like mine, or if you grew up like I did, you're thinking, that's weird. I don't want to be a priest. Those priests are weird people. Walk around, they don't talk to people. What do they do in those places they live? It's kind of weird. Okay, that's me. Sounds weird. So depending on your background, it may be scary. It may be kind of confusing. Here I am telling you, you're a priest. I just think it's kind of weird. What we have to do is separate ourselves from the historical and the cultural view of a priest. And when you do, and you get the actual biblical view, not the historical view, not the cultural view, not the religious view, but the truth to what a priest is, what a priest does, it all of a sudden becomes, it's not weird, it's not scary, it's not confusing, it's cool. Wow, this is awesome stuff. So, so in the time of the Bible, a priest was given two special benefits. And Peter is saying that the two benefits that the priests had, they were some amazing benefits. These two benefits are now yours because you are in Christ, because you are a follower of Christ. You get, the, you get to be these two things. So in the Old Testament, priests did two things. One was they had the privilege and responsibility to go directly to God. That's what happened in those days. You got to go directly to God. And nobody else got that privilege. It was only for the priest. Second thing is they had the privilege and responsibility of representing God to the people. They were God's representatives to the people. So those two things are true when you become a believer. You, first up, you get to go directly to God, direct access. You don't have to pray through anyone else. 
You don't have to confess through anyone else. You don't have to fellowship with God through anyone else. What God does in this moment is, is God steps in and says, you get a direct line. You get direct access. When you want to fellowship with me, I'm here. When you want to confess because you really blew it, I'm here. When you want to pray, I'm here to listen to you. You don't need to go talk to somebody else and ask them to pray for you or ask them for forgiveness for you. God says, you are a priest. And that's really, really cool. You have the right and the privilege to read your Bible, to talk to the Lord, to fellowship with him. One of the fascinating things that happened happened right when Jesus died on the cross. There was an enormously beautiful building referred to as the temple. And the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that inside of that cross, there was this enormous veil. We have a very nice veil. (laughs) But I could probably grab that one and rip it apart. If I can't do it, I'm getting Michael. (laughs) We will rip it apart. Okay, this veil is 70 feet tall, seven stories inside the temple. It was made of like stuff that is willing to hold the strength of 70 feet of weight holding on it. The only people that were allowed to go to the other side of this veil were the priests. So the veil went across the room and you could go to this side and go around or you could go to that side and go around. If you were not a priest, you could not under any circumstance or any situation go back there. The place behind the veil was referred, was called the Holy of Holies. I should say it like this. The Holy of Holies. It was the presence of God behind the veil. So God's presence is back there and only the priests can go. The moment when Jesus died on the cross, historically, biblically, historically, everybody knows this happened. That veil from the very top in the middle tore all the way to the bottom. And it was God pulling that veil apart to say this will no longer separate us. You can come into my presence anytime you want to pray, to confess, to fellowship, to do life together. That's what Peter is referring to here. Peter says, you have become a part of this holy nation, the priesthood. So we need to understand that. We need to embrace it. It's fascinating. Another thing that's really cool, the word priest in Latin, means bridge. You get to be a bridge builder. You get to help connect people with God. You get to build a bridge from people to God by helping them understand what's being said in the Bible, to understand, and you make that connection and you build a bridge and they come across it to faith. So really a priest is a bridge builder couple of things here. First up was that other point. The second one here, still under the MIA point, missing in action, is that you've been given privilege of helping other people understand the benefits 
of knowing God and following God. You are his representative. You are his priest, his bridge builder. You represent him to the people. The way that Paul stated this, it's 2 Timothy 1.9. Just realize you got to write it down. Is it on the screen? Cool. It's not totally missing. It says, he saved us and chose us for his holy work. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began. I love that it says he saved us for his holy work. You might think that's the most insignificant word in the sentence. I think it's one of the most amazing words in the sentence. You are saved for the most honorable task on the planet. That's what you've been saved for, to do that very thing. You are saved to be a bridge builder for others who need to know God. And you probably know a lot of people who need to know God. And you are the one that can build the bridge for them better than anybody that doesn't know them. So we are bridge builders. So one, he gives you the honor of representing him. And another one, he gives you the honor of influencing others for him. So you've been given this significant role. You've been given this great privilege. Another aspect of this, number three, on your notes, we're back. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I have been given a relationship. He says, you are a people belonging to God. I belong to him. I'm a member of his families, of his family. I get great privileges. I have this great inheritance coming because I'm a member of the family. It's just all of this awesome. The list goes on and on. And I get to have this relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ did. I get to actually relate to him. What happened is, is that Jesus, God's one and only son, made it possible for us to have a relationship with his father by sacrificing his life for us. Without that, it's Jesus relating to God and I'm out of luck. I'm out of everything. I don't have anything to do with that. Paul says you have been bought and paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. You you belong to God. You know, you, you should ask yourself, who's your daddy? Oh, that, no, that's, not, that's the right one. <laughs> Who do I belong to? Who's your real daddy? It is God the Father. Who do I belong to? Peter says you belong to God. What was paid for you? Jesus paid for you with his life. See, the cross proves your value. Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus gave his life so you could have a relationship with God. That says how much you're worth. How much was paid for you? The ultimate price was paid for you on the cross so that you could have the ultimate relationship. All you have to do is connect the dots. The ultimate price for the ultimate relationship. Jesus paid the price. I get the relationship. It's fascinating. Nobody has ever paid a greater price than what God paid for you, for a relationship with you. 
Peter uses an illustration here to illustrate our value. He says that God is going about this building project and you are a part of it. You get to be a core part of it. He's building this stone building that represents the church, the family of God, and you are one of the stones. That's really cool. He says, as you come to him, back up in verse four and five, the living stone, it's referring to Jesus, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What's happening is that God is building his church and the foundation and cornerstone of this spiritual building is Jesus. And all of the other stones are you and me, believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ. So what are you building your life on? You want to make sure that it is solid, that it is a solid foundation. Jesus, the rock of our salvation. Jesus, the chief cornerstone. Jesus, the one who fits everything together in that building. He died to make that possible. And we get to be a part of that. The cornerstone, just so that you know this, the cornerstone in those days, it was such a significant rock that it actually set the angles of the building and it set upon, it determined the weight that that building could hold. Jesus is the ultimate of cornerstones. He could handle it. He could handle all of our problems, all of our issues because of who he is. A lot of people call church buildings or temples, they call them the house of God, but God doesn't actually live in a house. He doesn't actually dwell in buildings. He lives in people. When I committed my life to Christ, God put himself, his Holy Spirit inside of me. That's how it works. He lives in us and we become that spiritual house. We become a home for Christ to dwell in. And it's a spiritual home. It's Jesus Christ. Peter says, you are a living stone. When you give your life to Christ, Christ comes in and you get this relationship with God and you get to become one of the building blocks in God's master plan. Again, that's just, it's cool. Fourth truth here that I want you to get is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have been totally forgiven. That is something that changes our lives. When I committed my life to Christ, I was totally forgiven. And I have embraced that ever since. That sense of being totally forgiven. You know those, those dark thoughts that you have because of something you did? Or those dreams that you have because of something that happened? He completely, totally forgives you. And he wipes it out. If you're willing to accept that forgiveness, he, he cleanses you from everything that has happened that was wrong in your life. The Bible says he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, all wrong actions, all wrong deeds. So I've been forgiven. And in being forgiven, I am set free to enjoy living 
Without Jesus Christ, I'm still over on the dark side and I'm living in a sense of darkness and I am not free. I'm in bondage to everything on that side. Jesus comes in and forgives me and he brings me over to the wonderful side, the side where the light is shining. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I am the God who forgives your sins. And I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. If you commit your life to following Christ, then God forgives you for the things that you have done. It's total. It's a total clean slate. He forgives you your sins and he gives you a new life. He sets you free from guilt. He sets you free from shame. And he leads you forward into a new life that as Jesus describes it, is rich, full, and meaningful. It says that in John 10.10. 10. That's why he came. Ephesians 1.4, this is back to Paul. Through what Christ would do for us, God decided to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We stand before him covered with his love. If I receive Christ, my sins are wiped out. That's, that's, that's why we call it the good news. It's really, really good to have your sins forgiven. It's like the best good news you could have. You might think, well, does that make me perfect? No, I am in no way, means, or form perfect, but I am forgiven and I am covered by his love. And so I want to relate to him and know him. And I want to do that. Somebody might think, well, do I ever need to ask, will God love me today? The answer is no, he already loves you. Unconditionally, completely. What God says is, I'm not gonna hold that sin against you. I'm willing to let it go. How about you? Let's let it go and do this life. So when you commit your life to Jesus, you become part of God's family. And you need to realize that all of what I'm talking about tonight becomes true for you. I have been accepted. I have been given great privilege. I have been given a relationship. I have been forgiven. These are these essential elements in this, in this building process of building your spiritual life. I want to tell you three things. I like three. You need to understand these things. You need to embrace these things. You need to live out these things in your life. And Peter tells you that in this chapter, in verse nine, it is for you now, because you have given your life to Christ, because this is all true in your life, it is for you now to demonstrate the goodness of God who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. We are to demonstrate these qualities to everyone. We are to live based on these qualities, on these truths. We are to stand out as we live out these truths. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for who you are. And I, along with that, I'm so grateful for what Jesus did. I'm so grateful that he was willing to lay his life on the line and sacrifice his life so that I could be forgiven, so that everyone in this room could be forgiven. And that's what you're offering to us. 
complete, utter forgiveness and a relationship with you and with God the Father, I pray that we would embrace that truth and make it real. I pray that we would all, everyone who is a follower of Jesus, I pray that we would take these four truths and begin to live them out. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.